Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter. I was really uh, on a short-term mission trip in college uh, my junior year that, that I really sensed what I later discerned to be a call to ministry uh, I've told the story before in different formats, but hearing the, hearing the reports this morning uh, caused me to think particularly about uh, younger folks who are in the room. You might be a fifth, sixth, seventh grader. Uh, you might be a high school or college student, uh, and you might be hearing a story this morning uh, that inspires you uh, to think about how God is going to use your life in vocational ministry. Now, it's not only reserved to students. The, uh, the prayer of Dave and the missions team and others has been that all of us would have hearts that are open to what uh, Jesus might be speaking to us with regard to mission, but particularly uh, to younger folks here. Uh, if you sense God the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. My goal in looking at this passage this morning uh, is to speak principally to our confidence, uh, principally to our confidence uh, that supporting and sending and going in cross-cultural mission is not only a right thing to do, not only a true thing to do, but a good thing to do. And our hope has been that the Holy Spirit will motivate each of us to a specific application as a result of being here. It might be uh, to pray for someone who you hear on a panel. Uh, it might be to learn uh, about joining a support team of someone that you meet on a panel. It might be uh, just the reminder that if you regularly give to NPC, about 20% of our regular budget goes outside of the church into mission. So just by uh, being a, a contributing member here at NPC, you're engaging in financial support of missions. Uh, a few of us, and perhaps more, may be inspired to go. You might be inspired to go on a short-term trip. And it might be on that short-term trip that you are further inspired uh, to do something else in ministry. And all of us have an opportunity and responsibility to pray and go into the mission field that exists in our workplaces and on our streets and in our conference rooms and classrooms. And so I thought about, you know, what are, what are some heart-level objections uh, that I might have if I were thinking about carrying the gospel cross-culturally. And I think that I, I, I landed on one. There are more, of course, but, uh, but one that I landed on uh, goes like this. And, and tell me if you agree that the, the spirit of our current cultural moment uh, teaches us that matters of religious faith are personal, that they're best kept private, that sharing uh, what should be kept private in an interpersonal way uh, and inviting someone to believe something that they don't currently believe uh, is uh, at, uh, at its worst highly insensitive. Uh, 
uh, and impolite and perhaps something like bullying. Uh, and to share what should be kept private, our, our, our faith to someone across cultural boundaries is, is a worse version of that given our, our own ignorance and insensitivity uh, about other cultures, which is just a, you know, a function of our finiteness. And so the result is uh, a feeling uh, that we, we shouldn't be too confident in sharing the gospel with others. Does that resonate? Do you ever feel that? That, that if, if I share the gospel with someone else, uh, am I doing a good thing? And that's what I want to speak uh, to this morning, just for a few moments, that Jesus weaves confidence uh, in the face of this obstacle, that sharing the gospel cross-culturally, sharing the gospel across a relationship is not just a right thing to do, not just a true thing to do, but also a good thing to do. And he weaves this through the Great Commission so that the church is confident uh, as it goes into the world, uh, that the king who died is alive again, and he sends the church out into all of the world to call people to believe in him. And, and, and the rightness and the goodness of going into mission are woven into the Great Commission. So, so briefly, first, it stands the, on the confidence in the, uh, in the public nature of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' commission that compels his followers to cross-cultural mission stands on the public nature of his uh, resurrection, not just theologically or philosophically, but also in the text itself. Uh, that at the end of, at end of Matthew 28 stands on the beginning of Matthew 28, that this is where Jesus' empty tomb is discovered. And you remember this uh, from your own Bible reading and from Easter Sunday's past, that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had gone to the garden tomb to see where Jesus was buried. There was a great earthquake. Uh, an angel rolled back the stone. He was sitting on it. Uh, we pick up the story in verse 3. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said, come to the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Uh, and the message from the angel is enough for the women. They depart quickly uh, from the tomb with fear and great joy. I mean, they are, they are in awe at what is happening. They're joyful. They ran. Uh, they tell the disciples... And this reminds us, as Jay talked about in his presentation, that the Great Commission stands uh, on something even more secure than angel reports, because the women meet Jesus himself. Jesus has greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Jesus himself, who they watched die, is now truly alive meeting, consoling, clarifying, and commanding to them uh, another rendezvous. Do not be afraid, but go and tell my, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will serve me. I'm sorry, there they will see me. That Jesus' resurrection is a public fact of history. Uh, it's a public fact of history with personal implications for you and for me and for all people everywhere. 
that Christianity is either the announcement of this absolutely unique but public event, the death and then the resurrection of the second person of the Trinity, and we are to announce that everywhere, or we really have nothing hopeful to say. And the key question, not only for our our personal faith, but for our public witness is simply this, did Jesus of Nazareth, a, a public known figure in history who was publicly executed in Jerusalem, which is an indisputable historic fact, in the early first century, did he rise again to new physical life after a real death? This is the report of the New Testament. Not simply that, that there was a Jesus who lived and taught some good ideas, who taught ideas claimed to be inspired by God. Not even that Jesus' ideas were collected, written down, and perpetuated by a band of followers, because that would just make Jesus like any other religious figure in history. But the New Testament report is different. That Jesus of Nazareth was professionally executed in a public place, buried in a known location, that the people who knew, who liked, who loved Jesus the most knew that he was dead, expected that he would stay dead, and had already begun to live their lives out of this Jesus's dead reality. Because what they were going to do at the tomb was not to see, did he rise, but to take care of his dead body. That there was a corpse to attend and there were authorities to avoid in the event of the big roundup. Jesus is dead, Let's go get his followers. And then against all expectation, they meet Jesus again. And against all expectation, they go and they tell the other disciples that they met Jesus again. And so, you know, it begs the question, first of all, where are you at with Jesus' resurrection? This might be your first Sunday back to church in a long time, and you've landed on Mission Sunday, and that's awesome that you would be here on Mission Sunday, uh, but you, you might need first to uh, confirm your belief that Jesus is alive again. And if you don't believe that, let me ask you, if not, why not? I encourage you to wrestle with that question. But if you do accept that Jesus' resurrection is a public fact of history, I want, I want us to next hear how Jesus called us to be confident in his universal authority. So uh, Jesus is now gathered with the disciples on the mountain in verse 18 in the, um, the, the verses that Jay read for us. He's come and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And his authority statement has layers of significance for our confidence that sharing the gospel is not only right, but good. It's from the first verse of the same gospel from Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is introduced both as Israel's legitimate king and also as the world's king, that he is the son of Abraham, referring to God's promise that through Abraham, he would bless all of the nations. All of the, uh, all of the nations would be blessed through the descendant of Abraham. And now Matthew says, we have met that descendant. That descendant is Jesus. Jesus who died is risen and he has universal 
global royal authority that extends to all people everywhere. So on the mountaintop from which we will hear the Great Commission, Jesus is validated both as having tremendous earthly authority as the King of Kings and also as uh, having tremendous heavenly authority. And it's just worth noting that throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus has described himself as a uniquely authoritative person. He does this when he refers to himself as the son of man, uh, that the son of man hearkens back to an Old Testament vision by the prophet Daniel, uh, by Daniel of Lion's Den fame in chapter 7 and verse 13, Daniel is given a vision. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom uh, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And it is just worth knowing, uh, if you remember the Daniel story, that Daniel's vision occurs where? It occurs when Daniel is in Babylon. Why is Daniel in Babylon? He's in Babylon. He's not there on a vacation. He's there because the people of God have been carried into exile. That, 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 that at the moment when everything seems to be going against the people of God, that, 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 that at the moment when things seem dark for the future of the people of God, that God gives Daniel this vision of a king with universal authority, authority that would extend all over the world, even to Babylon, not only for the one nation, but for all the nations. And throughout Matthew, Jesus has introduced himself as the son of man. In chapter 9, he says, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In chapter 12, he says that the son of man is greater than God's temple, that the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. In chapters 13 and 16, he talks uh, about the son of man coming with the angels at the end of history to gather the righteous and to judge the unrighteous. And three times in chapters 17, 20, and 26, he confirms, uh, in essence, the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So he is the son of man with earthly and heavenly authority. Uh, and this means uh, that when we carry the message about the Son of Man, we should have great confidence that, that every conversation about what should be believed as it relates to the Son of Man, about how we should live as the Son of Man instructs how we should live, as we should believe what is right or wrong, just or unjust, has his authority woven into it. I mean, mostly in America, we're discipled to stand on our own authority. That, that we're to decide for ourselves what is right or wrong. But as Christians, we carry into the world uh, with confidence a message rooted in the universal authority of Jesus. Uh, and this authority propelled the church into cross-cultural mission right from the beginning. One, two, several, a dozen, hundreds of people met against their expectation, alive again Jesus. And it was on the basis of these encounters with Alive Again Jesus uh, that they go into all of the world 
at great cost to themselves, explaining the relevance of Jesus to everyone that they meet. It's the story of the New Testament. Why? Because the king has the authority to forgive sins. The king uh, is resurrected, which means that he accomplished the work which he set out to do. He has the authority to receive worship that is only due the true God. He has the authority to judge. He has the authority to save. He has the authority to send. And that leads us to my third and final point, that Jesus commissions his people to go everywhere for the good of everyone. So thirdly, and this is where I want to speak specifically to our confidence, uh, that we can be confident in the universal goodness of proclaiming the resurrected Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I mean, it's great to have heard the text in German, wasn't it? Uh, It is living evidence of this having happened over time, uh, over the past 2,000 years. And you've probably heard uh, expositions of this before uh, that clarify that Jesus' command in the verse is to make disciples. That that disciple-making is the command. uh, That going is where the command is lived out. As you go, make disciples. As you live, make disciples. As you go around the world, make disciples. So going, therefore, might spur cross-cultural missionary service, but going definitely means that disciple-making is part of all of our lives, that that all of us are called to be disciple-makers. How do we do this? Well, Jesus tells us we, we baptize and we teach. By baptize, of course, the sacrament, but, but also what the sacrament symbolizes, initiation into the king's kingdom and teaching. And so we can, on that basis, describe our disciple-making mission as invitational and then beneficial. So uh, just briefly, invitational. Jesus is the one Lord to whom all people everywhere owe their allegiance. He is the one Lord to whom all people everywhere owe their allegiance. John Dixon, uh, the Australian apologist now at Wheaton College, uh, describes inviting people to know Jesus as promoting reality. I, I want you to think about this for a moment because it, uh, it gives us confidence in the goodness of what we're called to do. If there is one Lord, Dixon says, to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance, the people of that Lord must promote this reality everywhere. We promote God's glory to the ends of the earth, not principally because of any human need, but fundamentally because of God and Christ's unique worthiness as the Lord of heaven and earth. Promoting the gospel to the world is more than a rescue mission, though it is certainly as well. It's a reality mission, end quote. That that when you share that Christ has come and he's done what he intended to do, that he died the death that was ordained for him, that he has risen to new life and that he is currently ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father from whence he shall come, as he says, to judge the living and the dead, that, that you are inviting people to know what's really real. I mean, I mean, all of, the, all of the news headlines that I read while I was spending a lot of time in the airport 
worry about, can, can you trust the reality of information that you encounter? If you're a bearer of the gospel, you have information about real reality. What is really real? What is really real is that there is a king who loves you so much that he lived perfectly on behalf of your failures, that he died as a substitute for the death you deserve, that he is risen for the hope that you long to have, and that he will return to bring you into an eternity which you can never lose. That's reality. That's what we promote. And, and as we go, we invite people to know what is really real. So this should give us confidence as we go forward. I mean, I, I, there's a, a big part of me, not a, a good part of me, but there's a big part of me that just wants to be liked. Maybe you have a part of you that wants to be liked. I mean, if you don't have any part in you that wants to be liked, you should probably make an appointment with Chris and, and explore that pastorally. But, you know, sometimes I, I want to be liked to uh, the extreme of not wanting to share something that could cause someone to doubt, share something that could cause someone to think a little bit differently, share something that could be offensive with them about Jesus. Just critiques that. When I share about Jesus, I'm sharing about what is really real and, and what people really need to know. Uh, you know, so many of our conversations about faith and life in America boil down to something, some version of it. If it works for you, fine. But what works is individually defined and up for grabs. And it can sound arrogant or even harmful to assert a reality that constrains another person's freedom. But the, the real reality of Jesus, uh, as Jay said, I mean, it's, it's every bit as real and more real than gravity. And, and you want someone to explain gravity to you. Because you don't want to encounter the negative reality of gravity. Jesus' public resurrection means that there's a real reality that needs to be reckoned with and real authority that matters. But finally, that it's, it's not only invitation to real reality, it's also beneficial. And, and this, I think, we may need to reclaim a little bit as a church in America. Look at verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, what does Jesus mean when he says all that I have commanded you? Well, all the gospel message in its bare outline form, which we've shared, that we must repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus to be saved. To not do so is to disobey Jesus and accept an alternative reality, which is not a good reality. But if we stop there, I don't think that we fully appreciate all that Jesus intends to be beneficial. Because all in the context of Matthew's gospel encompasses God's word in the Old Testament with reference to Jesus and his work. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, And then even more challenging in verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, So it's a high bar, not a low bar. And the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, of course, invites us to take an interior look and see how much we need Jesus, how much we need to be forgiven, which is true. But having encountered that forgiveness, we don't dismiss all of the rest of the instruction. Because all of the rest of the instruction, so just think about the Ten Commandments, if you needed a starting place. Because that's what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He takes the Ten Commandments and he amplifies them and he calls for inside out from the heart living. Why? Because that's the good way that God designed us to live. That that, that the Ten Commandments are are both rules to keep, but also paths for living rightly in the world which God created. So that as we go into the world, and as we talk about the king, and as we present them to others, we have in the message about the king, uh, the message that the world needs to hear about how to live rightly, how to live according to the designer's design, how to live according to uh, the plan of the person who made it all. Uh, the, the world needs to know that. The, the, the world needs to know that, that not only is there a king who forgives, accepts, loves, but there is also a king who instructs and says, there is a good way to live. That, that after we followed all of the rabbit trails of our own design and got ourselves into fixes that we can't get ourselves out of apart from the Lord's grace and mercy and forgiveness, that there's a good and right way to live. That's the, the beneficial reality of the mission. So, so we should be confident that what God in Scripture commands for our living is also good for our living. And when it comes to beliefs and behaviors, our goal is is not so much to get people to live like we live, but to get people to live like the king tells us to live. That God's law describes his plan for our flourishing. And this will be beneficial to every heart, in every culture, in every place, at every time. Because Christ has died and has risen, that discovery is a point of liberation a point of freedom about how to live this way. So as you think about going and when you bump into the obstacle of other people's approval, go with the confidence. Our our king's resurrection is public. His authority is global and his teaching is beneficial. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast And for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.